Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everybody. This is David, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. I want to thank Dylan Allman for being a guest on last week's show. We talked about the Fourth Amendment, the Patriot Act, the National Security Agency, and issues right now with partisan politics and strategies to unite people in the betterment of the United States of America. So a phenomenal podcast, extremely popular in all of its formats. I encourage you to give it a listen. Also, I have great news to share. The Safety Doc podcast is now officially on iTunes, so you can find it by searching my name, David Perodin, or the Safety Doc podcast, and you will be able to download any of the episodes for free, again, on iTunes. Also available on SoundCloud, or go to the405media.com and search for The Safety Doc, and you'll also be able to find all of the podcasts. And guess what? Hey, if you want to see the video version, just go to YouTube and type in The Safety Doc uh, channel. Do that search. You'll come up with all of the videos for the episodes of The Safety Doc podcast. So... Hey, you can't go wrong. And whatever you do, please consider subscribing and retweeting, following me on Twitter, at SafetyPhD, sharing with your friends. Hit that share button. Let's get the word out there about the Safety Doc. And we are already up to Podcast 17. Uh, a week from now, we will be hearing from Sean Dickers, Professor Sean Dickers, who has worked with multiplayer game development and school districts and has phenomenal research to share. Uh, I, I um, you know, we hear about these these multiplayer games and and how people kind of uh, kids threaten each other and things like that. Well, well, Mr. Dickers, Professor Dickers, works on the other side of that of of more of the collaborative games, and and he talks about how they're actually very self-regulating um, and. It kind of reminds me of back in the early 1980s when I would be up on the Sandlot in summer for Sandlot baseball, and we didn't need adults to regulate, and we didn't have people making uh, threats against one or another, or if it's like, hey, you need to sit out this inning, Nate, because you're, you're just a little wound up over that last play. That's what happened. One of the older kids said, here's what, you know. Here's the consequence, and, and then you, know, you get, get your way back onto the playing field. So, uh, that's coming up, and that is going to be really helpful because it's the side of the discussion we never hear about when it comes to multiplayer games. And uh, Professor Dickers has devoted his life's work to this, has worked with the top professionals in the field, and he is one of those top professionals in the field, very sought after. So very fortunate to have uh, Sean Dickers coming up um, on the show, which I believe will air on, let's double check here, it will air on the 13th of March. So, yes, March 13th, Monday, March 13th, will be the Sean Dickers interview. So um, I am I, I'm getting into an area today I'm very passionate about, and that is uh, suspensions, school suspensions, and the rhetoric surrounding suspensions, and basically... Folks, I'm going to be very direct and very blunt with you from an insider perspective on telling you what's happening with school suspensions. And some of you, frankly, are not going to like what I have to say. And this podcast is definitely going to receive um, some feedback, some pushback. Because, um, you know, what I'm doing is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling that curtain right now and, and showing you the great Oz because it needs to happen. And it is going to happen during this podcast. Um, I put together numerous sets of notes for this podcast and wasn't satisfied with any set. So I am going to go off uh, kind of some different um, different arrangements of, of notes as, as I convene, you know, this this podcast as I get the message out there. So um, one thing about one thing about suspensions. So 
you know, you might think of suspensions as as what they were when you were in school, you know, of, of what they've always been. A student does something um, that is a significant violation of a code of student conduct, um, you know, curses at a teacher, vandalizes something, and then that student is suspended. And that's just kind of the way that it's that it's always been. And the principal's has that authority and, and, and that's that's what happens. And, and things really aren't that way anymore. I'm gonna tell you a, a, a story about how, you know, just, you know, the, the way that you, something that stood out to me of how, how times just never changed. Um, years ago, we bought a new uh, a new car and we went to the dealership and I remember uh, the the guy, the, the salesman, um, was probably easily in his 60s, if not early 70s, a really nice guy, and was striking up a conversation, um, you know, um, about the, the Green Bay Packers from the Lombardi era and things like that. I mean, he was, and he was dressed, um, you know, in, the, in probably the same suit and tie that he had worn to work, you know, since his first day in 1965. Um, just, just a nice, a nice gentleman, um, and was going through the exact same, I would say, sales pitch. Although you know he he was very nice, but the, the same sales pitch he had gone through since his first week on the job many decades ago. So he he takes us out and has us go on a certain route, which I'm sure he's he's probably traveled. <laughs> You know, years and years and years and years, um, you know, with, with that dealership. And we get back and park in the parking lot. And then he's going to show us the features of the car. And he's going through and, and you know, kind of getting into, okay, this car is a radio. You know, it's got AMF. It's got a CD player. Okay, it's a nice thing. And then he, he reaches up above and he actually does this, okay? He pulls down the visor. And he said, this vehicle has visors, so when the sun is shining, you can pull these down, and then it doesn't shine in your eyes. It's a lot easier to drive. And it, is, it even, like, turns to the side, so if the sun is coming from the side, like, it'll block that out, too. And I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've never owned a car that never had, that did not have visors, so <laughs> I'm pretty familiar with this, Chief, you know, like, we can skip over this part of the, part of the presentation, but um, actually actually did that it was just so set and and you know in in how he's presenting, and it was funny because the vehicle had OnStar, and it and he was was trying then you know we had purchased the vehicle, so he was trying then to to set up the OnStar. So he's out in the parking lot, and he presses the button, and then he's he's telling who he is and. It, it was just something to, to try to watch him set this on star up because it's like this technology is he, he couldn't have imagined this when he first started that this would ever exist. And, uh, and, and it was, it was just so funny. Um, I'll never forget that the visor thing though, you know, it's got the, it's got these things that come down their visor blocks the sun out and, and the cool, you know, turn to the side and think, I'm, I'm not sure when visors first came into vehicles, you know, but <laughs> again, you know, like, I got, I, I've got that part down. Okay. Yeah. And anyway, um, vehicle also had keys and a gas cap. So, um, but he was, he was a nice, he was a nice gentleman. He was a, he was a, a kind soul, but let's look at this and kind of apply it over to school safety, school suspensions of, you know, for years, school suspensions had to do with a consequence related to, a, a fairly, you know, egregious violations of student conduct, whether it be swearing at a teacher, whether it be vandalism, fighting, something like that. It was suspension. And those things, that was, that was pretty common. I mean, that's what you expected. And there wasn't really much surprise with that. I would say, um, that started to change, you know, once we got into the 2000s, um, all of a sudden, you know, if you're an administrator during that era or, or teacher here in the last 15 years, especially like the last 10 years, five years, especially, um, the, the fact is, um, suspension, suspension data itself. Let me tell you this. Suspension data is useless. It's useless. 
uh, in, in these states that brag, we've reduced suspension rates or high schools or grade schools or, you know, whatever. We've, we've reduced suspensions. I don't care, okay? I don't care because it's a useless metric. And here's why. First of all, everybody reduces suspensions. And why? They do it for these reasons. One is you are now graded, so your suspensions are public. People know how many suspensions your district has. And in the, in the area of free agency and shopping kids around to different schools through open enrollment, if you have a high suspension rate, you're getting crossed off the list. The other issue is there's a lot more feedback with um, suspensions from, from parents and issues of disproportionality of um, suspending um, you know too many students uh, particularly of it could be of a, of a certain race it could be of a gender uh, you know so these these are all these are all issues that are that are, that are kind of coming together right now um, where school districts are just not they're they're just not suspending they're telling teachers and i know this because i instruct courses numerous courses a year with teachers who are in the classroom with administrators plus my doctoral research plus all of the educators that i work with the consultations i do the expert witness the legal work i do in this i am telling you the truth and it is going to be denied there will be people who will say what i'm telling you is not happening and i'm telling you this is genuinely happening. People are not suspending. They are not suspending anymore. So it looks like things are improving when it comes to behavior. There are directives that are being given down at the administrative level, possibly starting at the board level, and their schools are being told not to suspend because they do not want that data out there. Um, I, I'm going to share, first of all, um, you know, I, Suspension, why is, why, why is suspension data, why do I say suspension data isn't valuable? A few, a few reasons. One is suspension data, you don't have inter-rater reliability. So how principal A, let's say the principal is in charge of suspending, and you have 10 elementary schools. Principal A is going to have a different belief set, a different way to handle things than principal B, principal C. The schools are all going to be different as far as the context of the environment where those schools are located. Is it an area of town that has more resources, less resources, poverty, not poverty, uh, innate needs of kids being met, innate needs not being met, free and reduced lunch, things like that. But you're going to have you're you're going to not have interrater reliability between your principals. It will not be there. You can look at schools at a school level, at a unit level of the school and then determine where your baseline is and your growth from baseline, your change from baseline, what you want for targets for, you know, growth, change from baseline. But you cannot compare school to school. I don't care what other people tell you. You can't do it. And I'm telling you that from a research perspective. People can come on. Come on and put the post underneath and tell, tell me that I'm wrong on this. That's fine. Give me a chance to counter that. But... Um, I, I do not believe I am wrong. You cannot compare school to school. And then you have statewide data where the statewide data looks at statewide suspension numbers. It's just crazy. You don't have inter-rater reliability. Some principals will consider if a student is sent home at 2 o'clock, well, they were here the whole day. They just went home the last hour. That's not a suspension. So you, you have a lot, of, a lot of ways, first of all, to get around suspensions. I want to make sure that I address that. I'm not going to do that probably right at this moment, but I'm going to, I'm going to address that too, that what's happening is the net process of what is, what is a suspension, basically having a student out of school, is still occurring. And it's probably occurring more than it's that, – that trend line probably is increasing. It's not decreasing, I can tell you that. It's being substituted for other things which are not called suspensions, and then they're not required to be reported out. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about that. Um, but a few things. One is that uh, the federal government, through the way that uh, legislation is written in the federal government, 
It's basically left to the states to act in the best interest of the child. And it's left to the states to determine the, um, how, how disciplined data is defined and then aggregate it and then report it out to the feds, okay? You might think that comes from a federal mandate. It doesn't. I gave a presentation in um, December of 2015, and I'm going to just take a statement from that. At that time, I looked at North Carolina, and for their 2015-2016 um, basic guidebook, which almost broke my hand because it was so thick, on how to... Um, document and report discipline in schools. There were 114 behavior options to report on. Now that was in one section. There were actually more than that, but of those 114 options that you needed to report out to the state, now that's North Carolina. Other states might have, you know, 20. They might have 50. You know, they're not having the same 114. They're not defining things out the same way as North Carolina. So, again, you're taking data from 50 states who define things in 50 different ways with 50 different ways to train and educate, you know, their administrators on what these really mean. But imagine this. You have 114 behavior options to report on in North Carolina. One of those is gambling. Another is fray, F-R-A-Y, which actually I had to look up, which means, you know, like a fight. Um, which you can get a disorderly conduct. Yeah, I probably should have known that. I've got a PhD, right? So, um, but gambling? Come on. So if these things are so low prevalence. Who cares? Who cares? But what you do is is you just put so much stuff out there that you make it confusing for people, and, and it's hard then to dis distinguish between, well, you know, um, the, the 97th, term and the 99th term look a lot alike. I'm not sure which one to pick. It's like you, you don't make things better by getting 114 behavior options to report on. And even if all of that was was valid and accurate, you had inter-rater reliability, what in the world are you going to do with it? Practically, what are you going to do with it? This data is also, by the time it gets aggregated at a state level, and put into any useful format, it's a couple years before that data is quote-unquote verified and, and back out in the hands of the public. I'm just saying, I think the fact of trying to, to you know, bring out all of these different ways to try to measure things and then try to define it and the different characteristics of it, and the fact you're including gambling, you got to be kidding, all right? I mean, come on. Um, I, I, I just don't... I, I, it's baffling. Um, so just because you can collect the data doesn't mean that you should collect the data, okay? That's just because you can doesn't mean you should. And as I'm going through the, my notes here, um, you know, one of the things that, that's been a game changer too is the Office of Civil Rights in the last couple of years has won the reporting out of motivating factors. So they're adding this additional layer onto schools of saying, okay, if a student was discriminated against, for example, um, you know, why was it? Was it because of, you know, a, a racial issue or was it because of poverty or whatever, 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 whatever? Well, the moment you start requiring more from schools, the school administrators are going to look at that and say, well, I don't, every time I report something now, instead of just, you know, reporting on this thing, I have to report on, like, the suspected reasons why, and then what do we do to try to address these these so-called underlying issues, which I'm not, I don't even know if you know, these motivating factors, if these are genuine underlying issues or whatever. I, again, you, you get to the point where educators get it, you know, they're intelligent to, to these things, and they're going to do the workarounds on these. It doesn't, I don't mean to put it principles in a bad light on this, but let's be realistic. I mean, if you look at something and all of a sudden, you know, the paperwork that you're going to have to fill out for some, for for one instant is going to take you hours, you're, you're not apt to do that, okay? Um, the, the, the system is out of control. It's out of control. I looked at uh, Wisconsin DPI suspension data. I'm actually going to show the slide. It's authentic. I took it off of uh, the DPI website. Um, it's for um, the years 20, um, 
2010, 2011, 2011, 2012, 2012, 2013. So I will put this slide up that will be in the video version. Um, and this is for a specific high school. I'm not going to identify the high school. And this is in Wisconsin. There could be other states where this is very similar. But again, Wisconsin da data, this shows you why then the data set itself is is not reliable because of what I'm going to share with you. But then you try to aggregate, aggregate this at a national level where you already know North Carolina has 114 different boxes you can check. Um, and they have more than that. I mean, that was that was one segment I put out versus, you know, other states that have different things and not in one state is defining, you know, this as this and this is this and this is this. It's you don't have that inter-reader reliability. So, you know, it, 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 it's 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 crazy, folks. But let me go back to this Wisconsin DPI suspension data. So in. 2010 and 2011 this was a high school all right uh and and let's say you know high school well the numbers will be up there but um roughly around 800 students so the high school in 2010 2011 had 71 suspensions in 2011 2012 had four this is from the dpi website this is from publicly accessible data went from 71 to 4 so went from a suspension rate of 8.71 to 0.5 and then the following year 2012 2013 went back up to 54 or 6.39% so you look at that data and right away on face value face validity that doesn't make sense there is no way you drop from 71 suspensions to four and then you go back up to 54 in an entire year in a high school of 800 kids that you had four suspensions so what's wrong there well what's wrong is either it is an incorrect entry or there was some significant recoding of what is a suspension and i'll get into that in a little bit um you know or 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 just blatantly you know there was intentful effort to to put that entry in that wasn't accurate so which is a bold statement I don't know but I don't but anyone looking at this they don't know they don't know and there's this is verified data folks which means there should be cleaners and scrubbers that go through data like this so something like that shows up there should be a red flag that shows up then at the Department of Public Construction and says hey this district dropped from 71 to 4 for suspensions, and then they went back up to 54. This seems like an anomaly. Something's not right with this entry. So even like if it's a, a asterisk next to it saying, we contacted the district to verify, you know, that the status correct and to make sure that there wasn't a mistaken entry. Nothing like that exists. Nothing like that exists. That data is wrong. That data is wrong. That data set's wrong. So now you have one ingredient that goes into the soup, which makes up your state data for suspensions, which I already said is so subjective and you don't have inter-rater reliability that's useless and it's two years old anyway by the time it really gets out there. Um, so how does this stuff happen? How does this happen? Okay. So first of all, my standpoint, suspension data is useless. Get rid of it. Don't even look at it. Who cares? I don't care. I don't care what I do now do I care about the underlying issues of student student behavior and student innate needs and all of that you bet I care about that and I care about that and have a different approach on how to look at that how to measure that in a way that is front-loaded and not so far back-loaded that you're looking at something after the crash has already occurred and the wreck is being being hauled off I mean that that at, at this case there is so much that has happened already with with probably the student through suspensions and being out of school and not in, in losing that school connectedness factor which we know is important through the CDC um, I've got approaches to get to to look at this differently and and how to report data out differently but let, let me let me before I get into that let me let me talk about uh, Kenneth Trump so Kenneth Trump is um, one of one of the nation's leaders in school safety 
So he has testified before Congress many times, and he, and he's he, and he's flat out said, and, and for years, decades, decades, that school violence data is inaccurate, grossly inaccurate. He said it. Um, yet nothing happens on on fixing it. Not his fault. He's pointed the problem out. Nothing happens. Okay, and I think it's because people don't know how to fix something where you have such inability to obtain inter-rater reliability, which I indicated. You, you can't get principle A and principle B to be on the same page for a similar event that happened, and you cannot take the context of here's this school in this context of this environment where they have low unemployment, for example, and enrichment opportunities, you know, like uh, you know, libraries situated there versus you know this school or this school that, that is further away from um, you know, mental health services or whatever. I'm, I'm just saying you can't compare these things. You know, you, you cannot compare these things. So, um, but yeah, so Kenneth, Kenneth Trump put, puts it out there. So it's well known. It's not a surprise. Um, here's, here's, so here's what happens. One is, let's talk first of all about why, um, you, why you would not want to be transparent with your suspension data in today's day and age. So one is there's 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 flat out pressure from your communities, uh, from your school board, from the state not to suspend students. In Wisconsin, it's a law to report out suspensions. It's it's information that is available on um, the DPI website, for example. People can compare. And and they view that, um, and again, schools are very much in a competitive mode right now to keep as many students as they can and to attract students through open enrollment. And frankly, having a lower suspension number is very advantageous uh, in those efforts, flat out. So there's economic incentive to keep that down. There's also the incentive of, um, of, of not suspending uh, or not reporting suspensions. Okay, I'm not saying not suspending. I'm not going there because I don't think that's what's happening at all. Um, but you know, there, there isn't a clear suspension on on. There isn't this clear definition. Like again, what if it's two o'clock in the afternoon? You send the kid home. And you talk to parents. They just they just need to go home, and we're not counting it as anything. So that principal doesn't mark anything down, or they do these little agreements and things like that, which I'll kind of get into and stuff like that. So, so you know, what is the suspension? What isn't? You know, a partial day, quarter day, what's counted, and things like that. So you don't have this clear definition. Again, it's very interpretive of what is a suspension and what's not. Even though DPL say they have it laid out black and white, no, it's subjective in every building. I know this. I'm a researcher. I work in these buildings. I work on the legal side of this too. I know. Um, and also, what is police handled? What is handled by the police? If the police are coming in and they're handling it, then is it necessarily a suspension or is it then a legal issue that the police have taken the student, maybe to juvenile, um, you know, uh, center, and now it's a police handle issue, so it's not considered a suspension. Um, some principals, you know, utilize that. Some don't. So. Um, we already talked about, you know, inter-rated reliability being an issue. I talked about that the data suspension where it went from 71 to 4 to 54, meaning you do not have scrubbers in your system um, identifying when you have errant data that's entered. So basically you can put in any numbers, I mean, and, and they, they seem just to get processed through. This wasn't the only instance of that, uh, you know, that I found. I had other, other slides, other things. I'm, I'm just pulling that one out. As an example, I, I did find it redundantly. Um, so, and there's there's other things like, uh, you know, there you, there are some districts would say, well, you know what, um, if the if the kid reports to the boys and girls club and doesn't come to school, you know, and and we had issued a suspension, well, we're not going to count that day as a suspension then because they're you know at the boys and girls club, so we have this. This agreement, where that'll still be counted as a school day because that they're getting social interaction or whatever, and you know, so there, there are all of all of these convoluted things out there. Um, so let me get into let me get into the issues of what what's really happening with suspensions, and then I'm going to get into my my thoughts on on how we can really get get this fixed, get this issue fixed. So here's what happens: um, instead of 
suspending. Schools get into these agreements, what they call abeyance agreements. Let, here's a, our starting point. We're going to talk about abeyance agreements. Basically, an abeyance agreement, and a lot of this is done with the school attorneys, and a lot of school attorneys are doing this now, um, so I'm not going to make them very happy, but hey, you're doing it. You know you're doing it. Um, I know that you're doing it. And what happens is the abeyance agreement then is worked out, and it's basically this pseudo-legal document that the parent, you know, signs, and the, um, the, the document says, oh, the child is going to be educated off campus for this amount of time, and then, you know, might have to go through some anger management or, you know, whether it be drug testing or whatever, whatever, whatever criteria to get reinstated back into school. But because of this is an abeyance agreement, we're not going to then go toward expulsion. It's not going to count as a suspension. So really on the student's record, the student's record, the record if they transfer to another district or whatever, um, this isn't going to travel with them, this abeyance agreement. It's going to look like typical school on a transcript. And why does, that's abeyance agreement, and then there's something very closely to that. It's called pre-expulsion. That's kind of arranged the same way. Pre-expulsion, which is basically another fancy word for an abeyance agreement of, we've got this special deal that we're going to offer you. Puts the school folks in the good guy position, right? We're the good guys. Here's what the book says. Like, you know, if we were really to enforce this, you'd be suspended, you'd be out. Um, and the school doesn't tell you that they have an obligation to educate, especially students with disabilities after 10 days out anyway. But, you know, we're, we're the good guys in this, this case. We're trying to help you out, like the principals. So um, we've got this pre-expulsion, we've, we've got, or this abeyance agreement. And, you know, if you, if you work with us on this, you know, it's going to be a lot better off. It's not going to show up on the record. We don't have to report this out to any state agency. We don't have to report, excuse me, uh, pre-expulsions. We don't have to report into OCR these things. We don't have to. It's not going to show up. It's not going to show up on your child's record. We're the good guys. We're helping you out. And guess what? When you have the attorney sitting there or the attorney that's crafted that on the other side of the table in a meeting with the parent, and it's done in kind of this informal process, all right, um, that parent is going to think, hey, I'm getting a break right here. My, my child and I, we're getting a break from the, the school. It changes that whole position where the school's like, you know what? We could do this. We could, if we followed everything here that the book said, this is, boy, and we don't want to do, we don't want to do that. We don't want to go to, you know, suspension. And then if it's expulsion before the board. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make you this offer. Okay, special offer, limited time only. Um, we need you to make a decision now, and that's how these usually work. And if you're on the other side of that as a parent, and I have been involved in those meetings, and I know exactly how they feel. If you're on the side of that as a parent, um, you're going to take a deep breath, and you're going to think, wow, I'm getting a break here. School's attorney on the other side, so they've got some, you know, they've, they've got definite positionality, power position, um, and that parent is going to go along with that abeyance agreement or that pre-expulsion because their choice is, hey, if you don't take this, well, we can suspend or we could go to an expulsion and then you're going to roll the dice in front of the board and that could end up with your child permanently being out of school which in most cases it never would because a board rarely, rarely, rarely would ever do that. But these are things in that don't show up on in databases anywhere. Go on the DPI website, check out pre-expulsions and abeyance agreements. How many did your district have? I mean, I'm saying this is to Wisconsin, but this is across the nation. You'll never find that data. It's not reported out. So what's happening is schools are getting the same results that they want it as far as kids being out of school, kids being out of school, educated off campus, okay, educated off campus, or some alternative program, even with the best of intentions, okay, that we're, you know, we have this program that, that we were, we're putting resources into whatever, but from the reporting side of things, it's going to be that abeyance and that pre-expulsion agreement is where they're going because they're going to drop those suspension numbers and they're wanting, they'll, they'll want to keep those suspension numbers low. Our kids, so the same thing is happening, all right? You know, the same thing is happening. It's being rebadged, though. 
and it's re-being, it's rebadged in an area where you don't have to report it out. And it is a shame. It is a shame that this is allowed to happen. And when the legislation came out, the Republican legislation a few years ago, in my state of Wisconsin, um, requiring uh, that suspensions be, you know, be publicly, um, you know, reported out and kind of, um, there was a push to get that on, on the state report card and so forth. Uh, I, I knew right away by looking at that, I'm like, this this is a paper tiger because any administrator, especially with legal counsel, is going to know quickly, we'll just do an abeyance agreement or pre-expulsion. But there's a few other tricks up the sleeve here, folks. One is if the student has a disability, and I work in an, a number of expert witness cases of students with disabilities, not in the state of Wisconsin, but students with disabilities, um, and what happens then is the change to IEP without a placement. An individualized education plan um, indicates where that child, the team indicates uh, where and how that child will receive an education. Well, again, let's say the student was involved in a fight, in a, in a threat, um, uh, and vandalism, whatever it would be, that typically would have resulted in a suspension 10 or 15 years ago might now just result in a change of IEP placement where the there's there's the team gets together the administrators there and says you know what here's what we are going to recommend we're going to recommend that this student be educated off-site for the next quarter and then we can work more on social skills or whatever it might be. And then we'll reintegrate the student back into the school setting. So this becomes an focused on through the IEP of, of working on helping the student understand what they've done and, and how they, they can, can maybe restore the relationship if there is some restorative justice component, which there usually isn't. It's more or less just saying, you know, to like, we're getting the students away from peers that might have been an influence on that student and just giving getting that student out of that setting where they felt the pressure to to engage in that activity there's a lot of bogus reasons that are given but anyway um so you have this other tool changed iep um placement that ends up being a pseudo suspension so um you know things like zero tolerance policies the those things are kind of out the window because they were ended up, well, first of all, they, they, they weren't effective. It took away judgment from the indiscretion, professional discretion from the administrator. And you had a lot of kids getting suspended who shouldn't have got suspended. So, you know, the boys, Boy Scout brings a pocket knife in, didn't know he had it, or some kid who scribbles, you know, something on a piece of paper that looks like a, looks like a gun possibly. You know, he's in kindergartner and just had seen Space Rangers or something. But um, anyway, restorative practices takes a lot of work. It's a great way to reduce recidivism. It's been proven, but you have to have a, an upfront investment in your school district to go with restorative practices. You go with restorative practices, which means, and I've talked about this, and you, you can look it up, and there's... Um, Examples that at, um, there's a website if you type in solar, S-O-L-A-R, which gives examples of this, but uh, restorative practices reduces recidivism, helps to build that, that student back into that school community. School connectedness, CDC 2009 report. Um, but let me, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little, little, you know, kind of skipping the record here a little bit, but um, another issue is disproportionality. Schools do get identified if they are identifying too many students in a specific race, gender, SES, as having disabilities, and then they have corrective action plans that they have to put in place, and sometimes those corrective action plans do come with required um, allocation of dollars to that, professional development, and so forth. Um, and again, Districts can circumvent that, and I had seen that very clearly done in one district where I had um, had access to a lot of their inside information, uh, very clearly was sidestepping issues of suspension so they didn't have to deal with disproportionality. Black and white, no doubt about it. Um, so you have, you have these things. It's not that um, people are naive. You know, administrators are naive. Administrators very much know the law. They know how to work 
around the law. Uh, and, and again, it, it sounds bad to say that. And I have a lot of friends that are administrators. Um, and part of it is there isn't a better option that's given to them right now, okay? And again, when these students are educated off-site, off, off site, I believe they're generally trying to, um, you know, get them access to some academic success and to get them built up so they can, you know, hopefully return into that, that school, you know, setting and experience success. Um, but here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here, here's if I'm in charge, here's how you fix the issue. You front load these things. So you do not report out suspensions because by the time that's like reporting out, okay, how much of the basement did you save after the fire department responded to the house fire? Houses burned down. How much of the basement is left? Hey, you did a great job. Here's how many basements you saved this year. I don't care. What I care about is up front. As soon as that smoke is there, as soon as that smoldering is, I want to know how you are connecting students and families to resources, whether that be school resources such as counseling, social work, psychology, whether it be um, other specific peer mentoring programs, community mentors, community services, interagency agreement with community. So you talk about, um, I, I previously spoke about the community health needs assessment, C. Uh, H and A C H and A China, the community health needs assessment is required under the Affordable Air Care Act. I should say, after uh, every three years, it needs to be reauthorized. You, you type in your school plus China plus like a name of your local hospital, and you're, you're going to get an evaluation that was done by your local hospital, which will include a lot of school data, and also um, things like you know families struggling with substance abuse with having innate needs being met, or um, it will probably also include student data, student graduation rates, things like that. So all of this stuff is out there. So put together your plan right away. Are you going to get get these, get the student, get the family connected with supports um, for so innate needs can be met? Are you going to have that student to work with counseling? Are you through your China Act? Are you going to try to get some kind of uh, mental health assessment that's done right away or some mental health counseling you're going to get that child connected up with. Are you going to put in restorative practices? Uh, what Document that. I want to know what happens right at the start. I don't want to know what the basement looks like after the house is burned down. I want to know what, what was, uh, you know, as far as what was the fire equipment, the resources that were, were sent out there to basically um, extinguish, you know, that, that fire, and, and then the efforts to, to, to mend whatever, um, you know, whatever damage had been done, which at that time would be minimal um, at the early stages. So that's we don't document that. Nowhere does it say we identify these students with the, these needs, and we identify and we we work to um, connect them with these internal or external resources. That's not documented. It's not. Or if it's documented, it's not reported. It's not required to be reported. There's no interior liability. No, what we care about is what suspensions. And suspensions are very, very nasty data because you know if you're a district with a high suspension rate, you're going to get scrutinized by the state, by your school board, and you're not going to be desirable when it comes to open enrollment for both in and out. Just, uh, you know, families are going to say, hey, we're I, this is a high suspension district. I don't want my, my child going here. We're, we're going over to District C, you know, next door, which has the same number of students off-site, but they're doing pre-expulsion and they're doing the abeyance agreement. So... Um, but that's what I would do. I would mandate. So you're going to have to have those, those services and connections. And part of it is connections through so that community health needs assessment of getting school staff connected with, with, with those folks and getting that jointly created. So when you do have a student that is presenting, for example, with some mental health needs, that you make that connection right away or, um, that you do have restorative practices in place. So if there is something that the student does, like an act of, of um, you know, vandalism, you initially then are working on restorative practices, which have been proven to reduce recidivism. 
So then you're not ending up in practices which typically produce suspensions down the road or, or significant acts which then end up in students being off-site or the rare chance of being put up for expulsion for you know some egregious act. But I want to know what's happening up front. I want to know. I want to know what your counseling programs are, your counseling groups for kids, your peer mentoring, those types of things. I want to know that. That's not being reported out, okay? That's not being reported out. Are you going to have a lot of inter-rater reliability in that? Probably not. I don't think you can have much inter-rater reliability on anything when it comes to school to school. I'm not so worried about that, okay? I don't really care. I don't care about inter-rater reliability because you cannot compare context and situation and then also the depth of training of staffs and even the physical structure of buildings and things. There's too many variables, so forget it, okay? Just get that out of your mind. You look at that school as that unit and find that baseline and you increase from baseline and you measure what is up front. You measure what is up front. That is, is um, you know, you, you are looking at the innate needs of kids and kids that are struggling and kids who are starting to exhibit and manifest behavior that you are actively working actively working immediately to get them connected to internal and external resources and it's not that all of a sudden we get to this point where it's suspension we you, you just don't go there you just don't go there so focus move it up front move it up front which means that you're going to have more counseling groups it means you might be hiring a social worker it definitely means you are getting thick connections with your county services and your community health needs assessment is being co-written by your school and the hospital and you can do that and there are districts that do that and it's very functional and it works very well it does and i've seen it work in generational poverty rural districts so it does work it can work that's the solution folks that's the solution so let me take a second here to to kind of go through you know in wisconsin we have we have the biggest gap between um, uh, performance academic achievement of black students and white students and also discipline uh, suspension between, between black number one in the country so and yet yet our suspension rate is going down okay suspension rate is is objectively going down it's decreasing um, yet the gap isn't changing. The the performance gap between students isn't changing. So what does that tell me? Okay, so if if suspensions so-called are going down, abeyance agreements, pre-expulsion, those things, those things are continuing. That means that the suspensions aren't your, the relationship between suspension and, and the gap, it's not strong, folks. It's not strong because if, if suspensions are, the suspensions were genuinely decreasing the gap should be decreasing too and it's not okay it's not the suspensions oh it is frust it is frustrating i'm i'm telling you folks it is it is it is frustrating it is frustrating so um let me let me go back though i i want to i want to come back to to the key terms and just hit these again you need to educate yourself on the terms of abeyance agreement and pre-expulsion agreements because these are covert agreements which are made between schools. There's the administrator and there's typically the school's attorney at the table and then on the other side is the parent and the child. And it is the special quote-unquote deal that is made. That is made so then that child often is educated off-site or partial day or something like that it's not the, the traditional education it's a pseudo suspension it's a suspension by another name um, and and then it's not showing up in any type of documentation again if that child transfers to another district it's not showing up it's not showing up on graduation records and the school doesn't have to report it out as a suspension and it is such an injustice to do that it is such an injustice to do that now part of it is the hand people are playing the hand that they have to play from an administrative side um, because there is so much weight that is being put on put on you know suspensions and, and there really isn't like 
you know, we are going to report out the proactive things that you are doing. Okay, let's do that in the school report card. Let's have a section in there of proactive measures for um, students with uh, behavioral or, or you know, disciplinary, um, I don't know, events, uh, you know, tendencies, stage one, whatever we call it, whatever you want to put it as. I mean, it's early things. And, and you document, um, you know, student A, this is, this is what we did. This, these are the resources we had available. This is what we did. You can say all oh, that's happening now. Yeah, it's not, okay? I know it's not. It's not because I know schools do not have agreements with the community health needs assessment folks. That's few and far between because guess what, folks? I've gone through most of them in the entire state of Wisconsin. And I can probably list on one hand the ones that I have school districts identified as partners and are active partners in those. It's not happening. Um, and again, I do know, I know that abeyance agreements are up. I know that pre-expulsion is up. And again, I see this not only from the researcher perspective, I have professional colleagues, and I see this from the expert witness side in other states. I know it's happening. I know it's happening. I have people that tell me it's happening. I know it's happening. I've lived that life. So, Let's get honest about suspensions. It's time to expel suspensions. This whole school discipline thing, it's a debacle. And what happens when you can't suspend, when you're a teacher and you're told you cannot suspend or you're a principal and you can't suspend, the kids go right back into the classroom. And the classroom teacher is left to deal with whatever is going on. Paints the kid as being bad, paints the teacher as being ineffective. Versus flipping it around and putting services at the front. Services right away at the front. And if you have to invest in restorative practices, which are intense, there's no doubt about that, but they decrease recidivism. They connect kids to school. That is aligned to the 2009 CDC report, which says that's your strongest indicator for getting kids to not be violent in school to have higher academic achievement, higher graduation rates, and a number of other positive outcome metrics. But yeah, what do we do? What do we do? We strong arm parents because we bring in the lawyers. You're on the school side and we do the pre-expulsion. Or you don't bring in the lawyer, but a lot of times you do. Bring in the lawyer or bring in the abeyance agreement. You offer the sweet deal. Hey, sign the deal. Go along with it. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll provide your child this education, which won't be the education that they were receiving. And, uh, you know, records will stay clean. What we report out will stay clean. And, and if you're a parent, that is coercion. That is flat-out coercion. You are being coerced. What option do you have? Are you going to roll the dice and you're going to say, no, I'm not going for this. I'm not going for, yeah, my child will be out a, sem a semester or a quarter, um, and then they'll be back. Or I could go toward expulsion. You know, I, I could roll my dice with that. Well, then, you know, that's showing up as, you know, uh, I, I have to go before the board. If that goes, if that goes south, my child might be out for the rest of their school career. It's unlikely, but it's on the record too now, and uh, in in that record travels with them. That's life changing. You have so much power on the other side of the table to coerce parents, and it happens. It bothers me. I, I'm passionate about this. And I can tell you one thing. When I come in as an expert witness in other states and I can see that this stuff is happening, I know exactly where to go after it. And if you think you can do an abeyance agreement or a pre-expulsion agreement and it passes a sniff test of, oh, this is, this is a good thing. This is the rose that we're offering. We're giving this extra chance. I know it's not, okay? And I will call you out and prove that it is wrong. You did not do your due diligence in serving the needs of that child. And especially if you've got this change to IEP uh, placement, you know, where you're getting your team together and the team is just making that placement, you know, change. So then you can, you can kind of circumvent all of this, you know. Yeah, you have to have a manifestation determination, but you can kind of get those things to go any way you want, you know. Um, 
I don't know. I don't want to be this cynical, but you do not have suspension data go down in a state and the gap between black and white student academic achievement does not change. Then what in the world, what in the world's happening? What's going to change it? What changes it then? And this isn't just black and white. I, this, this is all students. Okay, this, I, I'm not making this racial. This is all students. This is all students. You front load those services, and you get those to the kids and to the families right away. I talked to a high school kid, and the, the wisdom. This kid, we, we talked about PBIS and, I, and I, you know, positive behavioral interventions and supports and this, this whole thing of, of you know, and kids don't, kids partially buy into this, okay? You know, like, here's your expectations of how to walk down the hallway and things like that. It works okay when kids are a little younger. When kids are in high school and they get, like, tokens, like, hey, here's your card that you were walking down the hallway and, you know, you didn't bump into other kids and you're really courteous. And if you get 10 of these, you can redeem, redeem them at the bookstore for whatever. That's a joke. It's not the way the real world works. And the kids know it. It's... It's, it's a joke. It's, it's completely a joke. It, it, and the kids know it. The kids know it. And one of the kids told me, he said, you know, you know, Dr. Proden, what should happen? It's not PBIS for the school. It's PBIS for my community. It's PBIS for my community because we've got eviction signs outside and it's not safe to go through my community. It's not PBIS. I want PBIS for my community, maybe community and school, but just not school. And I'm not buying into this. The other part is, says, hey, we've been a country at war for 15 plus years. We've been an aggressor. We are an aggressor country. We go and get what we want. The non-aggression principle, NAP, come on. Libertarian policy, I talked about this somewhat in my last podcast with, with Dylan Allman. You cannot teach PBIS and tell kids with a straight face, you know, work out your differences and do all of this. And how do you respond to the child who says, but this isn't the way we do things as a country. We haven't for 15, 16 years and longer. I mean, I'm just saying continuously right now being an aggressor. You can't do it. You can't say that. It's not truthful to say, do as I say, not as we do, okay? How does that work? I think you need to be truthful with that, with what the non-aggression non principle is, educate students to that, and also how to communicate, um, you know, how, how to protest. And students have told me this. I, 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 I don't know. I want to I learn how to protest and get my opinions out there. And protest doesn't mean riot. Kids want to learn how to protest how to, how, if they see injustice in that. And we don't do that. We don't teach them. We have a course that teaches kids how to protest, a civics course. No. Come on. We're better than that. All right. I don't have any more folks. Um, you know, I, I, I'm vested in this game. I have children. This is my profession. It's been a life. It's a family profession. I do care about the kids. And... And I'm telling you what's going on right now, what's going on at a country level reporting, and especially suspensions and the way that we focus so much on, on once things have gotten eroded so badly that then we try to come in and deal with it. It's the Oroville Dam scenario, okay? You know, it's the spillway that is three-quarters missing, and then it's like, okay, we're going to drop bags of rocks in it and hope we can get through the next storm. That's how we're treating our youth. And we need to do a better job. And the tools are out there to do it. And the community health needs assessment, boy, that lays out a perfect groundwork to start doing that. It's going to be interesting to read the comments on this one. But it can be done. And it needs to be done. We're better. We've got the tools. And we owe it to the kids. All of our kids. We owe to our future. And we need to be honest with ourselves of really what we're doing. And we cannot continue with these abeyance and pre-expulsion agreements. And we can't, it, 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 These have to come to light. These have to be a report on what's really happening. 
and I'm calling out the schools and the law firms on these. These are wrong. The way these are being used is wrong. This is coercion. This is wrong. 